go public, right? And share with us. Well, tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. We're going to get started. We're not starting a new study tonight, but just, just some things that are on my heart that I want to share with you. Luke chapter 24. I actually read this passage recently in my quiet time. And it's just really been on my heart because I love this passage for many reasons. And so it's just helped me to, to think through some things in my own life. And, and I've been able to share this with other folks. I want to share it with you tonight. So let me pray for us and then we will get started. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We're so grateful, Lord, for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. Lord, every, every good and perfect gift, every good thing in our lives, Lord, is from you. It's from our Father who is above. And God, we're just so grateful that you bless us as much as you do. Lord, physical blessings, Lord, temporal blessings, and Lord, those spiritual blessings, those, those eternal blessings, those, those blessings of, of, of salvation, forgiveness, redemption, adoption, justification, sanctification, future glorification, Lord, hope, peace, joy, fulfillment. Lord, all of those things that you give us in Christ are just amazing. So we just stand in awe of your goodness. We stand in awe of your grace. Lord, we freely admit tonight that we don't deserve anything good from your hand, but because of your grace, because of the finished work of your Son, you have poured out your love upon us, and we are grateful for that. And Lord, we want to know you in a deeper way, and I pray, God, that you would use this time of helping us to grow in our, in our relationship with you, and God, that we would leave this place Lord, more on fire for Jesus than when we walked in. We'll thank you for it. We love you tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, uh, when uh, God was dealing with me in, in terms of a call into the ministry, I was just on fire for the Lord. And, and I, I picked up a book by A.W. Tozier called The Pursuit of God. A little thin book. It was a really helpful book. But he made a comment in that book um, something to the effect of he called people that are on fire for Jesus, he called them the fellowship of the burning heart. The fellowship of the burning heart. And I said, that sounds cool. And what he meant by that is, is he, he, he was speaking of people who, whose hearts are on fire for Jesus. And I thought, well, that's who I want to be. I, I want my heart to be on fire for Jesus. I want to live a life of, of passion for the glory of Christ. So I want my heart to be on fire. And there have been times in my Christian journey when my heart has been on fire for the Lord. I mean, passionate, fervent, right? There have been other times where my heart has been complacent, apathetic, not on fire, distracted, or any other number of things I could say. And so I want to ask this question. How can we live in such a way that our heart burns for Jesus? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? How can we live in such a way that our heart is on fire for the Lord? Not complacent, not apathetic, but our heart is on fire for Him. I want to answer that question from Luke chapter 24 tonight. And let me just give you this to kind of set the stage. Living a life of passion for Jesus, for His glory, is, it's not a complicated thing. What I'm going to talk to you about tonight is very simple. It's not complicated. Sometimes we overcomplicate life and we overcomplicate the Christian life. So, for example, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. Hold your place in Luke. We'll be right back in Luke. But look in 2 Corinthians 11 with me. I 
verse 1, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul here is defending his apostleship, and he's trying to protect the church in Corinth from letting false apostles, false teachers speak into the life of their church. And he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do, do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So he's saying, hey, you are the bride of Christ, and I want you to live for his glory and, and, and avoid the pitfalls of this world and the pitfalls of sin, so that you can be a pure bride for Christ. And then he says in verse 3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning... Your thoughts will be led astray, watch this, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Sometimes I like to say a simple uh, devotion to Christ. In other words, he's saying, listen, uh, living for Christ is not rocket science. It's very simple. Don't let people lead you astray from the simplicity, the purity of just walking with Jesus on a daily basis. So let me say it like this. If you ever see a Christian book that says the secret of something, there are no secrets to walking with Jesus. Listen to me. It's not a secret. It's not a secret code in the Bible. It's just right out there for us to learn uh, and and to, to grasp hold of and apply to our lives how we can live in such a way that our hearts are on fire for Jesus. So if you are a believer in Christ tonight, you have the capacity to live with a burning heart. You want to know how to do that? Are you interested? That's a very discouraging response. How many of you are interested in living with a burning heart? Okay, that's, that's a little bit better. All right, turn back to Luke. We're going to talk about what that looks like, how we can live a life of passion for the glory of Jesus, and it's not complicated. Luke chapter 24. We're going to read this entire passage together tonight because it really helps us to understand how the story unfolds. So I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to go back and make some comments on it. Uh, We're going to begin in Luke 13. Luke 24, verse 13. The Bible says, that very day. Now, the context is very important here. The day he's referring to, if you look back earlier in chapter 24, is the day when the disciples went to the tomb and found that it was empty. And the angel said, he's not here, he is risen. So this is the day that Jesus Christ uh, rose from the dead. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. These are two of his followers. And this Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem, about a seven-mile walk. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's interesting. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were in the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen, even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. So if you had to describe the emotions of these these disciples walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, you'd probably describe them as sad, 
downcast. Jesus walks up and says, what's, what's wrong? And, and you would probably describe them as perplexed. They, they're hearing some things about the tomb being empty. They, they knew Jesus died on the cross. They're hearing these reports. They're just not sure what's going on. They thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah that led Israel from, from bondage to Rome. He was going to lead them in a great uh, victory over the Roman Empire, but Jesus had died on the cross. And so they were just perplexed. They didn't understand all of these events surrounding the weekend. And so look how Jesus responds in verse 25. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Great phrase. We'll get back to that in a few moments. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, now look at this, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while... He opened us the scriptures. The, 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 the formula, the simple formula for the burning hearts found in this verse. And then it says, verse 33, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, seven miles, remember, seven miles. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and, and how he was to, known to them in the breaking of the bread. Something about seeing Jesus break the bread reminded them. I, I probably helped them connect maybe to the feeding of the 5,000 or feeding of the 4,000 or some moment when they saw Jesus break bread and pray and bless it and, and, and distribute it. So their eyes were opened at that moment. So it's a very interesting story about these two disciples walking to Emmaus, downcast, perplexed, and Jesus comes along beside them, and by the end of the story, they say, our hearts were burning within us. So, how can we live with a burning heart? How? Here's the question we're going to answer. How can I have a heart that's on fire for Jesus? Well, it's really simple. Two things I want to give you, and I want to unpack those a little bit. The first answer to that question How can I have a heart that's on fire for Jesus is this. Time with Jesus. Time with Jesus. Did you notice what it said there in Luke 24, verse 32? They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Everybody see that? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? So while we were on the road with Jesus... Spending time with him, even though they didn't know it was him, their hearts were on fire. Which reminds us of this very simple biblical principle. If you want your heart to burn brightly for Jesus, you must spend time with him. There are no shortcuts. Now, if you came to me for some marriage counseling, and you said, said uh, uh, wait, our, our relationship's struggling, we're, you know, we're just not getting along good, and, and uh, you know... We feel distant from one another, and uh, you know, it, it's just, we're just struggling in our marriage. Uh, I would probably 
among other things, but I would probably give you advice that goes like this. You need to intentionally carve out time to spend together. Because you'll never grow in a relationship with another person if you don't spend time with them. I mean, we just know that, right? That's, that's intuitive. We understand that a relationship will never grow unless we spend time together. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. Now, I read just recently in 1 Peter that, that we live our Christian life by faith. It says, though we do not see him, we love him. Though we do not see him now, we, we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And so even though Jesus cannot be seen right now, one day he'll come back and our faith will be made sight, even though we live by faith, it's still a real relationship, right? Jesus is real. He's a real person. And we can have a, we do have in Christ a real relationship with him. And so if we want this relationship to be made stronger, if we want to burn with passion for him, if we want our hearts to be on fire for him, there are no shortcuts. You've got to spend time with him. It was on the road. Walking along, seven miles, we don't know how far Jesus walked with him, but on the road, talking with him, that their hearts were on fire. Now, I want to make a few comments about time with Jesus. First of all, I want you to notice the availability of time with Jesus. The availability of time with Jesus. It says there, in verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they could spend time with Jesus because Jesus was there. That's pretty simple to understand, right? Jesus was available. And here's what we need to understand. Time with Jesus is available because of the first part of chapter 24. He rose from the dead. And because he's alive, he's now available for a growing, deepening relationship. Look what it says back in Luke 24, verse 6. This is the the angel talking to uh, those that came to find the tomb empty. And he says in verse 5, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And so here is the amazing reality concerning Jesus Christ. I want to talk about this some more on Sunday morning. Jesus Christ left the splendor and glory of heaven and he took on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born of Mary, lived a perfect sinless life, went to the cross of his own volition. And when he went to the cross, he took all of our sins on himself. He became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And on the cross, the punishment that you and I deserve because we're the ones that have sinned against God, the punishment that we deserve was poured out on Christ who died in our place. God the Father punished his son so he would not have to punish us. Isn't that good news? It says over in Isaiah 53 that he was, he was, he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, upon Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So Jesus came to the cross to take our punishment for us. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He breathed his last. And he died. He was taken off the cross. He was buried. And early on the third day, early on Sunday morning, he rose from the grave. He defeated death itself. He rose from the dead. Now, if Jesus had not been resurrected, we wouldn't be having a conversation about spending time with Jesus, would we? 
right? We would have, 1 Corinthians 15 says, we would have no hope. Our preaching would be in vain. Our faith would be in vain. I mean, it would just be a big waste of time if Jesus Christ were still in the tomb. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He defeated death itself. And because he rose from the dead, he's alive today. And because he's alive today, listen, he is available for you to spend time with. Right? He really is alive. He could not have come up and spent time with the disciples here if he were still in the tomb. The fact that he was risen made him available. Secondly, time with Jesus is available because he desires it. Not only is he alive, but he desires to spend time with us. Look what it says there in verse 15. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus takes the initiative here, and they're walking on the road. They're downcast, they're perplexed, and Jesus intentionally intersects their life to spend time with them. Jesus wanted to be with these disciples. And if we learn anything in God's word, it's that Jesus desires intimacy, an intimate relationship with us. Over in John 15, it says that that we are his friends. And he tells us in John 15, abide in me. Stay close to me. Spend time with me. Stay connected to me. And then I'll bear fruit through your life because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the Bible is clear. God desires relationship. He desires fellowship. He desires to spend time with us. I've heard it said like this. If you feel far away from God, guess who moved? God desires the intimacy. God desires to be close to you. God desires that time with you. So if you're not spending time with him, it's not his fault, is it? It's because we've made the decision not to make time in our life to spend with Jesus. And so time with Jesus is available because he desires it. Think about how amazing this phrase is. The God of the, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God desires to spend time with us. Isn't that amazing? He invites us into his presence to come anytime we want, stay as long as we want. That is an amazing reality available to all believers in Christ. And yet I don't think we understand just how privileged we are. So time with Jesus is available because he is alive. Time with Jesus is available because he desires it. He, he sought out the disciples here and came up and walked beside them. So, so that's the first thought about time with Jesus. Here's the second thought. These disciples' time with Jesus was unhurried. Their time with Jesus was unhurried. Look what it says in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So we know it's a seven-mile walk. We don't know exactly at what point Jesus comes along beside them. But it was the time to have an extended Bible study with them. We'll talk about that in a few moments. And so probably at least, you know, several miles, they're walking together from Jerusalem to Emmaus. This is before cars and, and, you know, your phone beeping at you to answer a text message and all the distractions in life. This is just, hey, just walking with Jesus in an un hurried manner. Now, let me tell you something I really believe. I believe that it is harder to maintain closeness with Christ in our culture today than it ever has been in human history. In seminary, we talked a lot about a pastor named Richard Baxter. He wrote a book called Reformed Pastor, and and, uh, he, he led a church in 
Kidderminster, uh, England, and he was a Puritan in the 1600s, and uh, just was a was a marvelous man of God. Uh, you know, led a church in that town that saw great revival. A lot of people converted and, and saved. And I began to you know to read about him and read his book, and and I noticed there were some big time cultural differences between 1600s Kidderminster and 2000, 2000s Hernando. For example, uh, most people, uh, most families, extended families, live together. They all live in the same house. And so, so Richard Baxter could go to a house and visit with Grandma and Grandpa and Mom and Dad and, and the kids and, and maybe some nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles. And in, in, that, in that town, uh, most of the, the children were apprenticed by their, by their father. And so he could go and spend time with, with Dad and Son while they're working as blacksmiths or whatever the case may be. And, and, you know, everybody was, was there. They weren't mobile society. They were just there in their homes, applying their trade, living life in a very relational setting. And so Richard Baxter, as a pastor, he had some advantages. His congregation had some advantages that we don't have today. We think our technology is really great, but maybe it's doing more harm than good because it keeps us moving, right? Vehicles and and communication, and cell phone, and, and internet, and, and you know, uh, moving here and there. You know, we're very uh, mobile now in terms of where we work, and, and where we go to church, and, you know, people used to go to church right in their neighborhood, because a lot of people just walk to church, but now we're very mobile. We can, we can drive to church, right? Where we do recreation, and, and all of this stuff is, 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 is different. It's a different setting, and so I would submit to you that it is harder to maintain closest with Christ. Let me say it like this. There are more distractions now than there have ever been. I really believe that. And so we've got to be ultra intentional about this. Because if we're not ultra intentional, it's just not going to happen. Other things are going to crowd it out of our lives, right? I mean, we're just busy folks, aren't we? Rush, rush, rush. We are busy, busy folks. And so we've got we to think, okay, my family's Busier than it's ever been. My church, busier than it's ever been. My life, busier than I've ever been. Work, busy, busy, busy. Recreation, busy. My kids' activities, busy, busy, busy. So what am I going to intentionally do to make sure that in the midst of all the craziness, I'm spending unhurried time with Jesus? It's a question we really need to ask. Because if we don't ask that question, and we just kind of try to make it through life, we're going to crowd out time with Jesus, and our hearts are going to be lukewarm. And if you read over in Revelation 3 to see how God feels about lukewarmness, you're not a big fan, right? And so these disciples' time with Jesus was unhurried, just walking on the road. And, and, and maybe we need to cut back some stuff or rethink how we use stuff or whatever or, or you know, take advantage of our time differently, but we've got to really think hard about how we can spend time with each other and how we can spend time with Jesus. Because it is so critical to our Christian passion. Here's the next thing about time with Jesus. These disciples' time with Jesus was fulfilling. It was unhurried and it was fulfilling. How do you know it was fulfilling? Because they wanted more. Look what it says in verse 28 of Luke 24. Verse 28. It says, They drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly. To me, this is more than just being polite. They urge him strongly, it says, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening. It's not evening yet, it's toward evening. It's toward evening, 
and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. He was at table with them. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So what was the result of them spending time with Jesus? Fulfillment. They wanted more, right? They wanted more. And here's what I've discovered about time with the Lord. When I'm intentional about spending time with Jesus, then it's not that my appetite for Christ is satisfied. My appetite for Him, my hunger for Him grows. I want more. I want more. The, the, the time I carved out is not, no, I want more time with Jesus. I'm, I'm thinking about how I can be with Him more intentionally. And so if you and I will spend time with Jesus, we'll be fulfilled by that, and we'll want more time with Jesus Christ. These, these disciples' time with Jesus was fulfilling. And, and I believe if we'll just taste and see that the Lord is good, spend some intentional time with Jesus, then five-minute devotionals won't be enough for us anymore. You know, you go to, to the store, you see them in Walmart or the Christian bookstore, and, and there are these little, you know, five-minute devotionals, you know, you know, coffee with Christ or mocha with a master or whatever, um, uh, lattes with the Lord. But anyway, you know, I mean, all, different little books, and, 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 uh, and I haven't even seen them, five-minute five drive-time devotionals. So I'm in the car, I put in the CD, five minutes, hurry, I'm pulling up to work, and, 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 I believe if we'll just spend time with Jesus, that won't be enough anymore. We want more quality time with him because it's fulfilling. It just, it just feeds and nourishes um, your soul. Uh, and we know this in other relationships, right? I mean, what if I told Claire, hey, Claire, I love you. I'm going to have five-minute moments with you this week. And, and listen, you have five minutes, all right? So go. Let's spend time together. Okay, how would that go over in my marriage? Not good, right? We know that, and we know it in, in relationships with each other, but we don't apply that to Christ and say, you know what? Maybe if I spent time with Jesus, I would want to spend more time with Jesus. That's how it works. And so we need to be intentional about spending time with Him. It was on the road while they were walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, that that their hearts were on fire. So let me just give you a couple practical suggestions. This isn't in your notes, but you can just jot these down. Number one, I want to encourage you to think through your life and think of a time. Think of a time. And, and think of the best time. All right? Think of the best time for you to just spend time with the Lord. All right? The time that, that is, where it'll be quality time, not rushed, not five minutes on the way to, to, you know, to work, or you know, not when you're laying in bed at night dog tired and you're trying to spend time with Jesus, but next thing you know, it's morning, right? Because you can't stay awake. I mean, just, just when's the best part of your day? A good time for you to spend some, some unhurried time with the Lord. Think of a time. And then I want to encourage you to think of a place. Now, we don't want to be legalistic about this because the place can change. Uh, there are days when I have you know, time in my prayer closet with the Lord. There are times when my, I'm, I'm it's in my vehicle on the way to a visit, uh, a hospital visit, and it's just me and Jesus in my truck. And so the, time, the place can change, right? And life is crazy. And so you've got you to just realize that. But, but think of a place that you regularly go to to meet with Jesus. Because here's the deal. If you find a place, if you have a place, that place becomes special. And it really becomes kind of holy ground, kind of sacred space. 
I mean, it's just it's your place where you meet with Jesus, and it's a very special place. It might be a back porch. It might be a recliner. It, it, it might be the dining room table. It, 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 I don't know where, but, but some place might be out in a gazebo. It, it might be in a swing in your yard. It might be the front porch. It, I don't know, but, but, but think of a place, and it may not be there every day, but if there's a place you go to regularly to spend time with Jesus, that place will become special to you, and here's what will happen. You'll get to a point in your life when you can't wait to get back to that place. Like, I just really need to get to my place and spend some time with Jesus, all right? And, and isn't that what Jesus said over in Matthew 6? He taught us how to pray. He said, when you pray, go into the inner room and shut the door behind you. Have a place to spend time with me. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so, have a time. Try to be consistent with that time. Be flexible because life happens. But find a time and find a place. And just start spending time with Jesus. And see, it may be on a walk. You may be a walker and you like to walk your neighborhood. That may be your time with Jesus. You may be a jogger. That may be your time with Jesus. It may be whatever. You may be a hunter and, and you're in the deer stand. And that's just time with Jesus. But wherever it is, just be consistent and intentional about spending time with Him. So, how can I have a heart that's on fire for Jesus? Number one, spend time with Jesus. Number two, here's the second thing. Time in His Word. Time in His Word. Look what happens in chapter 24. It says, as he's walking on the road with them in verse 27, because they didn't understand all that was happening, all the events of the death and the resurrection and all of that. So it says, he beginning with Moses, that's the Old Testament, beginning with Moses, all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He showed them how the Bible pointed to him. And so he gave them a, a, a time of, of, of studying the word of God. Now, let's just let's have a little dialogue. What are some moments in the Bible that you wish you could have been present to, to see them happen? Just talk to me. What are some moments you said, man, if I could have been there, it would have been awesome to see that. Anybody? Garden, we say garden, garden of Gethsemane, garden of Eden. Gethsemane, okay, garden of Gethsemane. Good one, see, see that. Okay, what, who, what else somebody say? Okay, birth of Christ, yeah, nativity, angels in the sky, you know, yeah. What's that? Elijah on Mount Carmel? Yeah, that's one of mine. Yeah, he's on Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal, and he calls down fire from heaven. And yeah, Man, that would have been awesome. Yeah, Mount Carmel. That would have been cool. What else? What else would you like to have seen witness in the Bible? If you could have just had a front row seat. Okay, okay, maybe the see the parts of Jesus' life that aren't really outlined in the Scripture. What is it like to see Jesus grow up? Good. What else? Yeah, David and Goliath, I was waiting for somebody to say that. Hello, how incredible would that, that would have been awesome, right? David and Goliath, all right? We, you know, we like fights and all that, violence, don't we? I mean, we're in a violent culture, so David and Goliath would have been cool. Now, here's what I believe, and I could be totally wrong. This is not in the Bible, so don't take this as biblical, but here's, here's what I'm kind of, well, I don't know if I believe it. This is what I'm hoping for in heaven. I hope that God's going to give us like a replay of that. Like, we'll be in heaven, and God will say, hey, you want to see David and Goliath? And we just sit down with Jesus, and he just replays it for us. Wouldn't that be incredible? That would be awesome to see that. I mean, what parts you want to see? Well, you know, show me the Exodus. I want to see the Red Sea part. And, and, and man, so I, I, think, I think that I mean, we're going to be there forever, right? So it, I think it's reasonable to think that God would, you know, show us that and, and give us kind of a replay of some biblical events. But thinking, thinking through all the different places in the Bible that we would love to have been at and seen different things transpire, 
What happens here in this passage is one of the places I would love to have been when it happened. Because what happens is, here in Luke 24, Jesus gives them an extended Old Testament Bible study and shows them how the Old Testament points to him. How incredible would it have been to spend an hour with Jesus, hour and a half, two hours with Jesus, as he teaches the Bible? Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, I would love to just been there and, 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 and have heard that study. And so he's teaching them the Bible, the Word of God. And notice what they say back in verse 32. Remember what they said about the burning heart? Verse 32, they said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? We were spending time with him. And, notice the second thing there, or while he opened to us the Scriptures. So we were with him on the road, spending time with him, and he was teaching us the Bible. And as we were being taught the Word of God, our hearts burn. So the second thing that will help us to have hearts on fire for him is time with Jesus and time in his Word. And there's four things about the Bible we need to understand Uh, First of all, we need to understand the authority of Scripture. Look what it says in verse 27. Verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He takes the entire word of God. He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he, so he, he, he holds up the entire Old Testament as being the authoritative word of God. And we have something that these disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't, didn't have. We not only have the Old Testament that Jesus was using... We have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the New Testament too, don't we? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We have, you know, we have the, the completed canon of Scripture. We have the Old and New Testament, all the breathed out Word of God. God breathing by Spirit through human instrumentality so that they were writing down exactly what He wanted them to write down. So that what we have here in our Bible is inerrant. It's God's Word and there's no error in it because God doesn't make errors, Right? He breathed through human instruments, so they wrote down exactly what he wanted them to write down. So Jesus models for us here the authority of Scripture. When he wants to explain to them what's happening, where does he go? The Scriptures. Not, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said? Or did you hear what this rabbi said? or that? No, he, he goes to the Scriptures. And the Scripture is the authority that Jesus shares with the disciples to help them to interpret what's happening, to help them to understand rightly what's happening. So we need to, we need to understand the authority of Scriptures. I believe one of the reasons that we're not more interested, interested in the Bible than we are is because the Bible is really not our authority. If the Bible is really our ultimate and final authority for faith and practice, we'll take it more seriously, won't we? If the Bible really has the final say in our life, I mean, if it really does, then we want to see what the Bible says about everything, right? And so... If we understand the authority of Scripture, we will desire to be in the Scripture. Secondly, understand the focus of the Scriptures. The focus of the Scriptures. There in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. He showed them how in the Old Testament pointed to him through prophecies, through, through types, through the the history of Israel, through whom God was sent a Messiah named Jesus. He shows them how the entire Old Testament pointed to him. I like how Adrian Rogers says it. He says, the Bible is a hymn book. It's all about him, right? It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And we need to understand that, that, you know, some people try to draw this, this line between the Old and New Testament and say that God in the Old Testament is different than God in the New Testament. That is false. That is wrong. 
It's the same God, the triune God in the Old and New Testament. And the entire Bible is one story about God sending a Redeemer to build a kingdom of redeemed people for His own glory. So the entire Bible is about Jesus, right? It's all about Him. And when you begin, here's the deal. When you begin to read the Bible with those lenses, when you begin to look for Jesus on every page in every book of the Bible, you begin to see how it, it's all unified and it, it fits together beautifully when you look at Scripture through those lenses. And so, understand the focus of Scripture. It's all about Jesus. The entire Bible points to Jesus, all right? Even passages like Numbers. You know, you read something like Numbers. and uh, Not Numbers, uh, Judges. You read Judges, and every time I read Judges in, in my quiet time, I just get depressed. Because I don't know if you read it lately, it's just an awful book. I mean, they're just continually rebelling against, against God. God's continually gracious to them, and He raises up deliverers, but even the deliverers are a mess. And at the end of the, end of the book, there's this, you know, about this woman being cut into pieces, and it's just, it's an awful book. It's just, it's, it's, it's depravity on display. You see in Judges just how wicked humanity can be, right? And you think, what has that got to do with Jesus? That has nothing to do with Jesus, right? Wrong. You know what judges have to do with Jesus? God didn't destroy them. He preserved them and kept the nation together so that one day he could send a Messiah through the nation of Israel. The fact that God didn't wipe them off the face of the earth is grace. And the reason he didn't wipe off the face of the earth is because he had a plan to send a Savior. And so the entire formation of Israel, preservation of Israel, protection of Israel, it's all about the Messiah. It's all about Jesus. And God says it to his prophets all the time. I'm sending someone, a branch he's called, or uh, 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 you know, uh, the son of David he's called. I'm sending someone who will come and, and be a redeemer for a lost and dying World. So the entire Bible is about Jesus, and Jesus showed them this in this walk to Emmaus in this Bible study. I would love to have been there for that. How about you? Here's the next thing about time in His Word. We need to desire to rightly understand the Scriptures. Look what it says in verse 27. It says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them. He was explaining the Bible properly to them. He was giving them the right interpretation of God's Word, showing them how it all pointed to Him. And then look what it says in verse 32. It says, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us? I love that phrase. He opened to us the Scriptures. In other words, He explained the Scriptures to us. He helped us to understand what the Bible actually says and what it means. And so Jesus was was interested in right interpretation of God's Word. He was teaching it in context, teaching it rightly. So you and I should have a desire, not just to, you know, open up the Bible and read whatever we find our eyes landing on, but we ought to have a desire to systematically expose ourselves to all the Word of God, the entire counsel of God, so we understand the context, we understand the flow, we understand the biblical history behind it all, so that when we read a passage of Scripture, we are understanding it properly in its context. That is so important. We, if, we just, if we just turn to a verse that's out of context, we can make it mean whatever we want it to mean, right? For example, let me give you an example of how you can twist God's Word. Um, the Bible says Judas hung himself. Jesus said, go thou and do likewise. 
Now, did I just give you a biblical case for suicide? I just quoted two passages of Scripture. Right? How do you know that we're not supposed to commit suicide? That's in the Bible, right? I just gave you two passages of Scripture. What's the problem? I took them out of context. Judas hung himself, all right? After he betrayed Christ, Satan had his way with, with him. He hung himself when Jesus said, go and do likewise, he was talking to his disciples in the upper room about washing each other's feet and serving other folks. So I took a verse that meant, hey, wash your neighbor's feet, wash your, each other's feet, and I applied it to, to what Judas did. And he said, well, that's twisting scripture. It happens all the time. Whenever you hear someone preaching a passage and they never mention the context, you've got to be careful because when you divorce a passage from its context, you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. Jesus interpreted it in the Scriptures. He wanted them to understand the right meaning of the Bible. And the way that you and I can understand the right meaning of the Bible is to read and study a passage in its proper context. And the best way to read and understand a passage in its context is to systematically read through the Bible. Don't just open it up and say, Okay, uh, I'm in 2 Samuel 17 today. I'm going to read about Hushai saving David. All right? Maybe you need to go to chapter 16 and understand why David needed saving. Amen? Don't just don't do that. Some people do that. They just flip through their Bible and wherever they land, that's what they read that day. Systematically read through the Bible. I have a Bible reading plan. Uh, it's the Discipleship Journal Bible reading plan. I have a little pamphlet. Uh, we have some here at the church if you want one. Uh, you, can, you can download the PDF off the internet and go to Google and type in Discipleship Journal Bible reading plan. But that plan keeps me accountable to read through the entire Bible every year. And I've done it now for, for years. And it has been a major, um, a major source of growth in my life. I'll say it like this. I'm not the same person I was five years ago because I read through the Bible every year and make sure I'm reading all the counsel of God at least once a year. And it's changed me. It really has. And it'll change you. Because you're not hit and miss. You're, you're reading a passage in its context, understanding the Bible as God unfolds it for us. And so make sure you have some kind of plan in place to read all of God's Word, not just little parts of God's Word, and you'll understand the Bible better. So we need to desire to rightly understand the Scriptures. Jesus wanted His disciples to understand the Bible in its proper context. Here's the final thing. I'll take some questions. We should be amazed by the Word of God. We should be amazed by the Word of God as we read the Bible, as we study the Bible, as God speaks to us through His Word. There is a, a, an amazement that happens. Look back with me in Luke 24, verse 32. It says, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? And so it was during the Bible study that their hearts were on fire. They were amazed at what Jesus had to say. And my, my goal, and I'll just be honest with you, it's not like this every morning. I don't walk away from my quiet time every morning just, just overwhelmed with amazement. Sometimes it's a passage that I just read and try to understand rightly and think about the application, but it's not a major, you know, chill bumps kind of moment. It's just systematically being obedient and reading the Word. Um, but, but my goal is, when I, when I begin to read the Bible, I, 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 most of the time I'll breathe a prayer from Psalm 119. Psalm 119, I think it's verse 18, the psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. So as I begin to read the Bible, I'll just breathe out that prayer. God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. In other words, I don't want to just read this as just a, just a, a step of, 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 
of Christian practice, I want to read it and I want you to, to do a work in my life through it. I want to be amazed by you, amazed by your word. And so as they were walking with Jesus, he was teaching the Bible, their hearts were on fire as he taught the word. So how can I have a heart that's on fire for Jesus? How can my heart burn brightly for Jesus consistently, regularly, not just after a an, uh, an emotional worship time or not just after youth camp or, you know, we, we've all gone through these, these, these mountains and valleys where, man, we're up one moment and we're on fire, but the next moment we're just, you know, it's kind of back to normal and we're apathetic and complacent. How do we live consistently in a way that our hearts are brightly burning for Jesus and it's not complicated? There's no secret to it. You spend time with Jesus, spend time in His Word, that relationship grows The intimacy with him grows. You love him more. You want to talk about him more. You want to think about him more. You want to spend more time with him. He begins to shape the way you think, the way you deal with other people, the way you live your life, the way you work your job, the way you interact with your family, the way you serve at church. He he changes everything about you as you spend time with him, and your heart is burning brightly. So it's not rocket science, is it? It's just really simple. These disciples... On the road, walking with him, as he taught the word, our hearts were burning. So that's the formula. It's there in your notes. Last thing, time with Jesus plus time in his word equals a burning heart. We'll close with a little addition tonight, right? Time with Jesus plus time in his word equals a burning heart. 